Welcome to Blub Talks. I'm Robert McKenzie, teaching sensei at Speech Blubs. And today we'd like to introduce Kirsten Broughton, a licensed SLP in the state of Nevada. And she holds a certi certificate of clinical competence through the American Speech and Hearing Association. Kirsten is also a certified Hanan, Hanan provider uh, and trained in prompt, the Lee Silverman voice treatment and PECS, the picture exchange communication system that allows people with little or no communication ability to communicate using pictures. Now, Kirsten frequently sees kids to help with autism, delayed speech, language and speech problems, and speech disorders and impediments. If you're interested in contacting Kirsten, she also provides online teletherapy sessions. Hi, hi, Kirsten. Good morning. Hi, Robert. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Um, let's start with some questions and clear up some confusion. Uh, th this confusion is in our social media community about identifying the early signs when a child qualifies for speech therapy and whether or not to try the wait and see approach for late talkers, late bloomers, et cetera. Um, could you clear this up for us? For, for our Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, of course, there will be some children who have and will grow out of a speech delay, but there's really no way to know if that's going to happen. And so with the wait and see approach, a lot of times those families will end up coming coming to speech at a later time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course we can, we can make some progress at that time, but research really shows that early intervention. So getting into therapy as early as possible um, gives us the best results. So I always recommend you just book the evaluation. If when it comes time for that evaluation, you don't need it anymore. Awesome. You know, cancel, but, you know, get in for the evaluation and see the professional as soon as you can. Right. It's, it seems like the choice of rolling the dice or not, and it seems much smarter to do the evaluation right away. Um, I, I think so. Mm -hmm. um, so our parents are also concerned about identifying developmental red flags. Mm -hmm. so they're, they're not experts like you in seeing something that could be an issue. Could you offer some advice about milestones and which red flags might present themselves? Sure, absolutely. Um, well, for parents, I would really just say trust your gut. You know, you are the professional on your child. Um, if you are feeling like your child is not kind of at the same level um, developmentally as peers, whether that's with, you know, how much they understand, um, responding to their name, um, speaking. And so that's, you know, using, using language and vocabulary at all, or maybe your kiddo is talking away, but it's just more difficult to understand them than peers. Um, all of those are signs, you know, mention them to your pediatrician. Um, unfortunately, some pediatricians will kind of advocate for the wait and see approach. Um, call a speech pathologist, you know, kind of let them know what you're seeing, um, book that evaluation because pediatricians, they're generalists, you know, they know uh, a little bit about lots of things, but a speech pathologist is really going to tell you what is appropriate for your child's age. Yeah. Now I know you um, have close contact with children on the spectrum. And could you uh, describe for our audience the difference between autism and late talkers? 
Is sure. it just apples and oranges or? Um, well, uh, so what's that, sorry? Can they be both, uh, have autism and be a late talker? Yes, absolutely. Um, late, late talking is one of the signs of autism and not always. Sometimes um, kids with autism can have, you know, a huge vocabulary, um, but there are some other signs, um, some repetitive behaviors, possibly some, um, you know, uh, like a major interest, something that they're really interested in. And so for children that are verbal, they might just be talking about their favorite thing a lot, all the time. For kids that aren't talking, maybe it's just a certain item and it could be a toy or a non-toy item. Like it could be a little car or like a spatula that they just want all the time. If they don't have it, they might get really upset. Um, maybe not responding to their name, um, poor eye contact, but lots of the times when you see these red flag lists, um, you know, I think, oh, my, my kiddo has great eye contact. There are kids on the spectrum that have great eye contact or even sure. too much eye contact sometimes, um, um, kind of some difficulty with social skills. But when you read those lists, every child um, is, is different. Kids with autism do not present the same way. And, and so unfortunately, sometimes when parents talk to the pediatrician, you know, they might just have a few little red flags that they go through. And if the kids aren't matching up with those, it's like, oh, you know, your, your kiddo's fine. Let's wait and see. Um, but really getting into a professional who can kind of take a little bit longer than, you know, a quick five minute visit with your pediatrician, you know, watch how the kiddo plays, um, you know, talk with the parents more about what the parents are seeing at home. And, you know, is the kiddo playing with peers? Um, things like that. So really, if a parent has any sort of concerns about speech delay or about autism, um, go in and, and see someone and, and continue to advocate for your child. That's, it's really important. It seems like this evaluation is the uh, cornerstone moment, the, the, the nexus for all the good things that will happen after that. So uh, I get it. It, okay. Yeah, it, it is important. And I guess one more thing on that, you know, um, just like getting a second opinion, if your doctor says to wait and see, you can get a second opinion from another speech pathologist. If, if a speech pathologist says your child's not ready for speech, right. or um, mm, I don't know, and you still feel like, ah, this is just not my, my child's not you know, on par with their peers, go and see someone else. You can ask the speech pathologist, you know, what is your specialty? Who, who do you work with? And then you can even ask them what kind of trainings they have in that area um, because we're not all created equally, you know, so, so well, make sure you ask those like questions. A doctor or practitioner, you don't always have a connection that allows them to see everything that you see in your child. So perhaps it's just seeing a second person that may be able to bring some of these issues out in a different way. Absolutely, absolutely. Meet Elliot. He's a three and a half year old diagnosed with autism six months ago. Before his diagnosis, he could only say 15 words. He started using Speech Blubs, a speech development app, almost every day. Fast forward, and now Elliot can speak well over 100 words and even uses two to three words together. His parents are thrilled, especially since speech therapy sessions are so few and far between. What an amazing success story. Way to go, Elliot. Now it's your turn. Download Speech Blubs for free and start expanding your child's vocabulary from the comfort of your own home. Okay, next question. Uh, if, if parents and children 
show a need for speech therapy, they, they, the parent thinks there may be something um, not quite going right. What are the next steps? You said, okay, get an evaluation. But before the evaluation, you probably get referred by a pediatrician to an evaluation? Yes. So the first step is going to be mentioning what you're seeing to your pediatrician. Um, you, yeah, typically will need a referral. Not always. Um, it, like my company doesn't accept insurance, so you can just give us a call and we'll schedule with you. Um, but yes, but if you, you know, want to go with insurance, um, you know, you can call the number on the back of your insurance card and say, hey, who are your providers in my area? And they will, and they will tell you who they are. You can call that company. That company may ask for a referral from your doctor, but first steps talking to your pediatrician um, mm -hmm. and then going from there, you can even reach out to the speech therapy offices. Oh, nice. And then after you have, you give the evaluation, then what happens? So during the evaluation, um, that is the time that we develop goals. And so that's, you know, based on, we usually do a combination of like a formal assessment and some informal things. So like play, observing the child, lots of information from the caregiver. We're going to develop goals based on what we see as well as, you know, things that are important to the caregiver. Um, mm -hmm we determine the frequency and duration of therapy based on our findings in the evaluation and, and go from there, start therapy. Oh, super. And um, now how do pediatric speech therapists work? Um, is it all through play? Is it through using outside sources like speech blubs? Uh, do you have go-to exercises that, that you've used for a long time. How, how does it work? Because as a parent, I know I would be nervous going in. I know what's going to happen. What are we going to do? Will my child succeed or will he fail? Is there succeeding? Is there failing? You know. No, no failing, no failing, no need to be nervous. Um, I mean, I understand it's, it, you're going to somewhere new and, and the kiddo can a lot of times be uncomfortable if it is a new environment, someone they've never met before, they don't know what to expect, they don't know how long they're gonna be there, all understandable. Um, but as far as you know, strategies and therapy approaches, it really depends on what we are looking at with the child. So um, when we do an evaluation, we look at a couple things. We look at language. And so within that, we look at receptive language, how the child understands language and their expressive language, how they use language, vocabulary, um, word combinations, um, grammar. Um, let's see, we look at social skills. Um, we also look at articulation, so speech sounds. So it really just depends kind of what areas we're looking at. It might just be one area, it might be a combination um, and, and go from there. And where do you land as far as using play as a way to learn? Play is huge. Um, I do lots of play-based therapy, especially with language. Um, you know, we, we learn the most when we're engaged and kids are engaged in play. Uh, you know, they're, as long as the kiddo is having fun, you know, you can use language in so many different ways, modeling language, just really talking about what we're playing with. And even if the kiddo is not saying anything back or even, you know, maybe just looking at the object and not looking at you, they are listening to those words and they're learning that way. And I would imagine uh, if the speech therapy is fun, the child is more likely to look forward to it, to do the work between sessions, to, to actually engage with you when, when he or she shows up. 
Absolutely. Yeah. You want to make it a fun, uh, you know, you want to develop that rapport with the kiddo and, you know, use what they are interested in, um, whatever kinds of toys or even, you know, non-toy things that they might like. Some kids with autism don't really like typical toys or typical plays. So they might, you know, like something a little bit different. And I'm just going to jump in and do that with them and, and do that to start. Yeah, my kids, I don't know what it was, but they both like pots and pans. I would just open up the drawer and they'd start pulling out pots. And it was loud, it was messy, but it didn't matter. They were they would be engaged for an hour. You just go, oh my God, now I can do cooking or I can do business, like you know, whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you really don't need to, you know, buy anything fancy. You can right. you can play with a box, you pots and pans. It it yeah. Kids will have a good time as long as you're animated and making it fun. Excellent. Now, I wonder how your practice has changed during this pandemic. Um, I would imagine you're doing more online therapy uh, in the last, what, 15, 16 months. Yes. So I had never actually done teletherapy before the pandemic, um, but lots of clients reached out and wanted to go that route. And it's worked really well. Um, clients so of all ages. Found by location either as well. So um, with, with teletherapy, you do need to be um, licensed in the state that your clients are in. So I'm licensed in Nevada. All of my clients are in Nevada. Okay. Yes. It's a pretty big place yeah. though. I mean, <laughs> it is. Yeah, definitely. Well, and, and um, lots of families are thinking, oh my, you know, teletherapy is not really going to work with my child. They don't like technology or things right. like that, but actually, you know, not necessarily the case with early intervention, so therapy for kids three and under, mm -hmm. lots of what we do is um, caregiver education, giving strategies to the families. And mm -hmm. so we're just talking, you know, with mom and dad anyway, and, and giving them strategies and we can kind of watch how the kid is playing. Sometimes the kid wants to hop on and, and that's great. But even, even if they don't, um, we can, you know, provide a lot of resources just through teletherapy. Is it challenging sometimes online to keep a child's uh, focus or attention? I mean, it's it's not like 100% successful every minute of every session all the time, but you just kind of find out what the kiddo is motivated by and then make it fun. So we might do a little game or something like that. Uh, maybe sharing a little video clip as a reinforcer if that's what they like. Uh -huh. And how are parents involved in the online therapy? Are, do they need to be in the room? Do they um, engage with the child? How does it work? It really depends on the child. And so like what we're targeting, the age of the child, um, how, I guess, how independent they are. I have kiddos that, have, you know, if we're just working on sounds or language, if they're like school age, they're just going to sit with me. The parent might be, you know, doing some household things in the background or maybe even in a different room. Um, I've got other kids that maybe they little need a little bit more redirection and the parent does just prefer to be there. And, and that's absolutely fine. Whatever the parent prefers, uh, really just on an individual basis. Okay. Um, now, uh, I've decided that my child needs your services. Um, you do the evaluation, you set some goals. What does a treatment plan look like? What, what will I see after, after meeting with you? Sure. So we'll talk about the goals, um, you know, about frequency and duration of the therapy sessions. Um, 
because there are so many different things that we look at um, in speech therapy. I'm not really sure how specific I can get, um, you know, just because it depends on if we're working on sounds or language. Um, it, it really just depends. You know, if it's language, we might be doing lots of play and, you know, giving strategies that the caregivers can use all the time because, you know, I might come once or twice a week for 45 minutes, but when we give the caregiver strategies, I mean, they can then do therapy all week long, you know, right. in, informally and make it fun. But that's when we can really see more progress when the families are working on these strategies outside of, you know, that therapy time. Oh, uh, here's a question I have. Um, are you back to face-to-face -to -face therapy? Is that yes. happening? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So um, my company, we do in-home therapy as well as teletherapy and in-home, excuse me, in-home therapy has shot up as well. I think, oh, wow. you know, parents maybe feel a little more comfortable staying at home, having just one person come in instead of going to a center um, where there are lots of people, lots of kids. Um, I guess, and another benefit of that too, is I'm, I'm in the home, I'm sharing strategies with them, going to a center. It's, it's really going to depend on the place, but I know some places right now during the pandemic, they're not letting parents come past the waiting room. Right. So there's not quite as much interaction between the therapist and the caregivers, you know, talking about what they did during the session, what they can do during the week, things like that. Um, and within home therapy, the caregivers can be as involved as they want to be. They can be there playing with us, hanging out the whole time. Um, mm -hmm. Or if they kind of want to be getting on with some other stuff, it just depends on, you know, how involved they want to be. I see. Okay. Is there one activity or method that you'd like all parents to do to boost communication skills from an early age? Sure. So playing with your child. Um, I know it sounds simple, but doing what they are interested in um, and, and just playing the way that they like to play is, is huge. Um, narrating during play. So just, you know, talking about the things that you're looking at, you know, maybe you're doing cars, making some funny sounds and environmental sounds are like, vroom, vroom, whoa, crash, you know, kids will kind of look at you and like, that's funny. And, and, you know, they, they get more engaged and excited that way. So play, you know, talking about the things that you're playing with, or if it's a mealtime, talking about the food, talking about the things that you're looking at, um, that, that really helps with, with language development. That's great. So narrating your day, basically. Absolutely. Talking about what you're doing, getting the kid to respond to what you're uh, like, oh, I'm making some breakfast. I think I'm going to make some dinosaur eggs. And just to get a reaction, I don't know. And uh, get them talking, dinosaur eggs. Daddy, where do you get dinosaur eggs? You know, this is, this is anything provocative like that to get a kid going is usually pretty good. Absolutely. Yeah. Doing or saying something unexpected like that can, can bring out some new language from a kiddo. So that's really a fun, a fun thing to do as well. Now I'm really interested. We, we recently had a guest talk about fam, the family learning initiative in the UK, which basically is uh, an initiative to bring families into the learning experience. And it seems like it's sort of connected to this Hannon Center training that focuses on empowering parents. As, like you said before, they're the primary uh, caregiver, education giver, uh, influence in the child. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So, I mean, parents are with their children all the time, right? So much more than, than I'm there. 
Um, so teaching the caregivers strategies and, and, you know, making sure that the caregivers are comfortable using these strategies um, is huge, right? Because I can do something, you know, for 45 minutes, once or twice a week, and we're, you know, probably going to see progress that way. But, you know, being able to work on these things all the time and in lots of different environments, you know, when they're in the car, when they're at the store, um, there are so many learning opportunities throughout the day. And it's, it's huge. Research really shows that when parents are using the strategies, um, yeah, we see lots of progress. It seems like you have to sort of teach the parents as well. You're, you're not teach them, but sort of model behaviors for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Coaching. Um, yeah. Parent coaching and training is, is huge. And um, it, again, it just kind of depends. Some, some parents, you know, are just, they kind of want you to work with the kid and you do the sounds and then, you know, maybe I'll, I'll give them some homework and they may or may not do that. But, um, you know, especially with the younger kids, when we're, you know, working on language and things like that, that can be just targeted throughout the day. It's, yeah, it's really exciting to watch how the kids grow and develop. Super. Now you spoke about uh, homework. So I'm interested in the kind of activities you give kids to do between sessions. Like what should they be doing at home while they're waiting for their next appointment? Sure. So um, again, it kind of depends on what we're working on. Like if we're working on sounds, um, I might, you know, I don't like to give homework until we're, you know, pretty accurate with me during therapy. So if it sounds like we want to be like 60 to 70% accurate with me, because I don't want to give the parents something to do with the kids that's going to be difficult, or they're going to be, you know, practicing the sounds the wrong way. I, you know, I want to make sure that we can do it in the therapy session. Um, we feel comfortable and we're successful and then the parents can target that. But as far mm -hmm. as language, um, really, I know I'm, I'm kind of repeating this over and over, but play narrating throughout the day, um, you know, talking to your children about the things that you're doing throughout the day, focusing on what they want to play with, because if a kiddo is, you know, playing cars and maybe the parent thinks, oh, I want to do a book, you know, books are so great for kids and the kids playing with the cars and they want to bring in the book. If the kid likes books, they might kind of jump and go to that, but they're playing with cars. You can teach a lot with cars. Um, so just, you know, focusing on what your kiddo is, is doing in the moment and what they're enjoying. I would imagine it works pretty similar for kids on the spectrum, depending on what their issues are. You, you do kind of the same thing based on what they need the most. Absolutely. Yeah. Lots of, um, well, I mean, I, I, I guess I don't even want to generalize too much. It really, it depends on the age. It depends on, you know, where risk skills are what what we're working on things like that but certainly lots of play um we want to be modeling language um yeah there's so much i could get into about that but but lots of the same strategies okay i, I i'm really interested in if you use in your therapy sessions um apps like speech blubs to complement the work you're already doing because i know how kids uh, respond to technology and devices. They do. Kids love technology. Um, and I, I, you know, I tell parents, you know, try to avoid screens as much as possible. It's, it's inevitable, you know, we're, we're, and especially during, during COVID, you know, we're stuck at home. We are going to be on screens. You know, I'm not saying zero hours a day, but, but just, you know, try to reduce it. 
I don't really use too many apps. I will maybe use, uh, if I'm working on sounds, like some pictures with um, mm. all these words that start with a K so that we can just right. kind of go through the pictures, um, but not too much. I maybe, if, if the child doesn't have too many like reinforcing items, we might do a little YouTube clip, something like that. Um, so I don't use too many apps. I know parents will always ask, but you know, nothing replaces that face-to-face -face interaction playing. Um, I do have, have to say though about speech blubs, um, I, I love how when you first download it, so it asks you a bunch of questions about your kids. It's the little assessment part and parents, you know, make sure that you do this because it's huge. You know, you just answer questions about how your child plays or, you know, where they're at with vocabulary, things like that, because it will let you know if they are at risk. Right. Um, and also some really great tips and tricks that you can get from the app. Um, they've got yeah, some I great mean, nursery rhymes on there. From, from SLPs, speech therapists, um, they helped us develop it. So it, it should be something that, that is relevant. Um, and I, what I like about it is that if there's any question, the first thing it says is contact your local speech therapist if you have any questions or just talk with them anyways, even if there is no issue, just to maybe things you could look out for in case something happens. It's so, I think you're right. I think that is a valuable tool. Now, at the end of each of our blood talks, podcasts, I ask for a takeaway. Um, and in your case, because you're an expert speech therapist, um, I'm going to ask you, what are your top three tips for parents thinking about calling a speech therapist? Sure, sure. So, I mean, you are an expert on your own child. Um, you know, you may hear from friends or even pediatricians, unfortunately, you know, oh, wait and see, they're too young to know. It seems like they're fine. If you feel like there is an issue, you could very well be right and, and, we don't really want to risk it and wait and see, you know, there's no harm in getting in, doing that evaluation. Maybe the speech pathologist will say, no, your kiddo's fine. And then cool. You don't need speech. Or maybe it's like, Hey, you know, let's try a few sessions. I can teach you some strategies and, and go from there, you know? So, so getting that, that speech evaluation, if you have any concerns is going to be the first one. Uh -huh. um, yeah. Getting a second opinion from a doctor, a second opinion from another speech pathologist. If, if, you know, someone tells you, Oh, you know, I don't think so. I don't think your kiddo needs speech right now. Or, or even if you hear your child's not ready for speech, that is not, that is not true. It, I think that just means that that speech pathologist maybe doesn't specialize in um, what your child needs. So right. find someone else that, that can help you. Um, let's see. Um, I guess if your kiddo is getting speech therapy at school, um, getting an IEP is more difficult than, I mean, we don't, I guess, qualifying for private therapy, you know, if a kiddo has already qualified for an IEP, they can absolutely benefit from outside speech therapy. And it's not for everyone. You know, I know that not everyone has the resources and the time to do that, um, but it it's not gonna hurt. It could just speed some things along. It just depends on, you know, maybe, I, I don't know, school therapy is great. I love it that, that you know, people will be, will have access to that, but it, it can be difficult to, to qualify for that IEP because they have, they're kind of strict in how they do that. So just mm -hmm. because your kiddo doesn't qualify for an IEP at school doesn't mean that they couldn't benefit from help outside. 
Right. Or if I may offer a fourth tip and not to be too salesy, you could try speech blubs and use the evaluation tool at the beginning to give you a sort of a little bit more information about uh, whether your your feelings are, are warranted. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and what I love about it is you just download the app and that's the first thing, you know, there are like some paid features later on, but it, you know, you download that. That's the first thing. There are great nursery rhymes on there too. I love doing songs with kids, but the assessment and the nursery rhymes on the app are, they're really awesome. Well, thank you, Kirsten, for sharing your expertise and advice and making us all smarter and more empowered. Uh, if you'd like to contact Kirsten, check out the details listed below this video. And until the next Blood Talks, I'm Robert McKenzie wishing you what we here at Speech Bloods work very hard to do, joy and success in helping your child speak. Speech Bloods! Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe for more content like this. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Speech Bloods. Visit our website, speechblubs.com, for more information on speech development created by experts. Last but not least, download the Speech Blubs app to explore how you can improve your child's speech with us.